absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan, and we've got our first ever PGA Tour China player here. We've got Chris Hickman with us on the podcast today. Chris, what's going on? Not much, man. Just quarantining. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. You know, I'm really, uh, like I told you before, man, I'm, I'm pumped to kind of hear some of these stories on PGA Tour China. It is, you know, no pun intended, a tour that is very, very foreign to me. I can I can tell you my golf nerddom and, and golf, you know, stats go really deep, like all the way down to the small mini tours that people don't even know exist in like Florida and Arizona and stuff. But I know literally <laughs> nothing about PGA Tour, Tour China. But before we get into that, let's give our listeners a little bit of background on you. You know, you're a kid that grew up on the East Coast and, and now are parlaying your trade out on, the, out on the Far East. So give us a little bit of insight as to how you got started in golf, kind of where you went to college when you turned pro, and where you are at this stage, how we got to this stage of the game. Okay. Um, well, first I want to say thanks for having me on the podcast, by the way. And, um, yeah, it's my first podcast. And, uh, to start out, I'll say, you know, I grew up in Maryland and, you know, I grew up kind of like a small course in Chestertown. It was called Chester River Yacht and Country Club. Grew up there. And then I went to a boarding school for high school. And then I played four years there, which was a good experience. And then that was really key because I met a guy named Dr. Rotella when I was in high school. And I, I sort of got to know him, but I didn't really know him that that much. And then, and then um, I played in the U.S. Junior, met a, met the East Tennessee State uh, college golf coach Fred Warren there, and we got connected. And then I went to ETSU, played four years there, and that was a pretty good experience because you know as juniors, you as like in junior golf, you play a lot of like, you know, shorter golf courses where the competition really isn't, you know, gets kind of hit and miss sometimes. Um, and then in college, really, you know, I was playing against guys from Stanford and like, you know, Georgia and like guys who really had game. And so that was kind of like a good test for me to see like where my game was at. And it wasn't that good. Like, you know, I was shooting 80s <laughs> and like, like, you know, 85s, like all these tough courses. And, you know, my coach is like, you know, <laughs> what's going on? Like, um, but it was a really good, like, personal development, uh, time for personal development for me to really um, understand what my weaknesses were and, you know, improve my swing. And I had a lot of stuff going on there. But the key thing was in college was I started working with Dr. Otella more seriously, who is like a great sports psychologist. He's, I think he's the GOAT. He worked with Padraig Harrington worked with um he's worked with McRoy a little bit um I think everyone sort of knows him in the golf world um and I started really taking his stuff seriously in 2014 and you know when I started doing that like I met him after my sophomore year in college and we talked for a little bit and he gave me these like audiobooks and so these with these audiobooks I started listening to like in between tournaments uh, in 2014, I really started like digesting them and really immersing myself in what he was saying. 
And like the first event I played in, which was the Maryland Amateur, I did decent. And then the second event I started playing when I was doing his stuff, um, I ended up finishing like 16th and like this North-South Amateur. It was a good amateur event. And I was like, okay, I feel like this stuff is working. And then the next event was the Eastern Amateur, which was a pretty big golf tournament. And I opened up with 61, won the tournament by eight shots, set the tournament scoring record. And that was kind of like validation for me that, okay, like what he's saying is working. And I'm going to continue working with this guy. You know, this is my guy. And so I've worked with him for the past um, six years. And he really kind of took my game to like a new level where, in college, I got my world amateur ranking down to like, I think it was like inside the top 150. And then I got, um, and so then I graduated and I started working with a guy named Todd Anderson and he helped, he helped me a lot. Um, and I won like my third pro event, which was like a mini tour event. And um, yeah, and then like, um, I was doing like the mini tour scenes and stuff, but, um, you know, I went to, you know, the whole experience for me, like in college and growing up, you know, it, it, it took a lot of time, but to kind of get to where I am now, but, um, what's, you know, that, like, what's that mini scene tour like when you're coming from college and, and, you know, coaches taking care of travel, you really don't have anything to worry about foods, you know, paid for, et cetera, et cetera. And then you're, kind of grinding on these these mini tours is that a a big change mentally for you yeah it, it really is because you know like i probably thought like going out of college you know like you just don't know anything about pro golf like you've just spent your whole life in amateur golf like you know i'm gonna go out of college i'm gonna play a few pro events and then i'm gonna get through q school and then i'm gonna get on the corn ferry tour and it's gonna be as simple as that like you know and that's not how it works for the majority of pros and it was a really big adjustment like for me kind of you know having the coach you know basically take you everywhere and pay for everything you don't have to think about a thing it's all covered you know it's it's really relaxing you're there with your buddies to kind of going to like remote places in North Carolina and like you know play like playing in tournaments that are you know, you're putting up a lot of money to play in, like, you know, $800, $1,000 entry fees, you know, to play in a two-day tournament where you're riding in a golf cart and, you know, no one really, there's no, like, you know, ranking points at state stake. It doesn't really feel like it's a golf tournament. Right, um, right. Yeah, it almost so feels a, like you're playing a, a money game with your buddies. Yeah, it's basically a big organized gambling thing. So, um you know, and you call it like whatever tour you want to call it, but, and it's, and it's good. I mean, it has its value. Like, I think it's good for a lot of guys to see where their game's at and to stay, to compete. And they have a lot of those in Florida and North Carolina, like, you know, kind of Southeast America. But, um, you know, I, I kind of was like, like, you know, after I missed, you know, I was, you know, I, I got out of college and I won my first third pro event and then I won pre-qualifying and I just thought well I'm just going to go get on the corn ferry tour and it's going to be this easy and then I missed yeah by one shot at first stage 
like right on the like one shot like and it had like two 10 footers coming in what's you know? i mean g- give me give me an idea what that's like because you know you go like you said shooting 61 being on this high uh cruising and, and breezing through everything and then you know honestly the reality of pro golf hits right it's the fact that like as golfers we lose 99% of the time and the 1% of the time that we actually win is very fleeting because you go right on to the next week so what what was that like how are you how are you able to handle that after working with Dr. Bob you know, honestly, I handled it terrible, and Dr. Bob would not be ha- would not have been proud. I mean, like, you know, you know, Dr. Bob would not have been would not have been proud of me at all. Like, I I remember because when I got done first stage, I thought like people were congratulating me, like, oh, like you know, good job, you made it through. And then I went from like I think twenty three got through, and two guys like behind me ended up birdieing coming in, and that jumped me, that threw me back from like twenty first to like like 25th and I just was like devastated I mean I like I mean I was completely devastated I remember being on the phone with him like what am I gonna do for the next year this is ridiculous you know like what the heck like I thought I was gonna be on the corn Ferry tour and you know like and then I started hearing about PGA Tour Latin America and PGA Tour Canada and I kind of always had heard about those tours but I never really like like had taken those thoughts seriously Right. Like I was, you know, I thought like, like, like I said, like I was just going to get through and, and it's like you said, the reality sets in that, you know, like not every great, not every really good player gets through, um, Q school. I mean, a lot of really great players don't get through Q school. Um, you know, great guys who are really good in college. And so then you're kind of like, what do I do? You know, and um, and it's it's like I said, it's like a it's kind of a harsh reality. But um, at the same time, there's, you know, like I learned about Latin America and PJ Tour Canada and uh, decided to go that route. So and, how many um, how many events on which which one were you on first, uh, Canada or Mackenzie Tour or the Latino America? So I tried. So after I missed first stage, um I tried McKenzie Tour Q School and Latin America Q School and missed them both the first year. So I spent like 2017 just doing mini tour stuff. And then I missed Q School again by like three shots. And then I went, so then I went to PJ Tour Latin America in 2018. And I, f- I remember like playing really good at first stage. I was like, you know, this is going to be like, I felt really good about heading into that and got through, uh, PJ Tour Latin America first and got my status on that tour, which was great. Um, and then like about a month later, I got status on uh, the Canadian tour. And so that set me up for a year in 2018 that like I won't forget. So like ever. <laughs> so what, what are um, the differences and, and similarities that you saw between those um two tours because like the Latino America tour is very odd, right? Because they have two seasons primarily. They take that break for the summertime. Um, yes. So you play the one six week season, if you will, you take the break, you come back out again, you play that second, uh, six week season. And you mentioned 2018 and you had some, you know, phenomenal finishes. Uh, you, you qualify 
for Latino America by finishing T14 at the Columbia Tournament. Um, you qualify for the McKenzie Tour by finishing T2 at Sawgrass on, on Dyes Valley Course, yeah. which is insane. You know, you shoot yeah, 66 in the final round. So you're not, you know, what, what I love is looking at the numbers and, and talking to you already. You're not afraid to go low. You know, there's, there's, there's still so many pros that just don't see themselves as being like, I can shoot a 61. You know, right. they're, they're scared because yep. it, it's just, it's like, it's not me. No, I can, I can shoot 68, 69, but I, I don't know, dude, I, I probably couldn't shoot 61, which, which blows my mind. Like right. you're a pro golfer. What you do is completely like out of this atmosphere compared to what an amateur does. So right. wh- why shouldn't it be you, you know? Yeah, exactly. No, it, totally. And, um, you know, that's sort of, Something that, you know, honestly, Dr. Rotella helped me out with in 2013, I would get three under par and just start, you know, like, (laughs) like freaking out and be like, oh my God, like, you know, three under par, what's this going to do for me? What's this? Now I'm, now I'm near the lead or whatever. Now I'm in, now I'm top 20 or whatever. And, you know, then I would get in my way and make bogeys and (laughs) like finish one over or something. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely, you, you have to do that. And if you're going to play in an event and um, try and win it, I mean, t- in today's golf world, you really need a top three to advance. Like, you really to kind of, because that's where all the money is. So, like, if you finish, like, 20, like, if you're on the McKenzie Tour and you go 20th, 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 like, that's okay. But you'd rather have, like, first place and, like, miss a bunch of cuts you know like yeah miss like, I, yeah, miss I, like I 10 do cuts. yeah so every every pro that that i've had on you know will tell me the same exact thing i would rather have two top fives and miss every other cut than be a average performer and in every tournament i finish between 20th and 40th like you're, exactly. you're so right because the money is so top heavy nowadays. Yep. You have one or two good weeks where you get hot on PGA Tour, you keep your card. You have one or two good weeks on the Corn Ferry Tour, you got your card for next year. Yeah. So I, I I get that completely, yeah. man. So you know you've exactly. got to go low, and and you know on China, Latino America, all these all these under card tours, all these minor league tours, if you will, to yeah. the PGA Tour. These guys are scoring like. They're playing their butts off week in and week out, 15, 17, 21 under par to win. Yeah, you know, exactly. 18, 18 under par to finish top five. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, you're, to- you're so right. I mean, I talked to a guy, it was funny, in 2019 when I was at PJ Tour Latin America Q School. And this, it, was, it was a great conversation because, you know, he said to me, because I played around with him and you know, I was being like really conservative. Like I was hitting three woods and irons, not taking on any of the holes. And I think that's good for like, you know, some of the time, but he kind of said to me, he's like, dude, you're never going to shoot like low scores, like playing the way you're playing. He's like, you got to go out and try and shoot like eight under every time. He's like, every time you go play in a golf tournament, you got to figure out a way to shoot like eight, nine, seven under par, be right in the mix, right from the get-go. Because, you know, the media always says, well, you know, moving day is on Saturday. <laughs> well, it's hard to win a golf tournament if you open up one under, one under. But if you open I up, like, eight that under six, from. yeah, I don't know I don't know where that's – I think it's a selling point, honestly. I, yeah, like, of course it is, yeah, without a doubt, because you're right. Like, 
if you make the cut by one stroke, you know, and you're 12 off the lead, I mean, you can move as much as you want. Top three. No, not at all. I mean, you got to like, like, and that's sort of, I guess, been my mentality where it's like, all right, like right from the get go, be ready to go try and take it as low as possible. Like, I mean, my, a lot of the times I'm playing, I would say my, my, my thoughts are just birdies and eagles. Like how, like, I'm just trying to see how many birdies I can make. I'm just trying to see how many, you know, like try and make eagles, just try and hit wedge shots close and just take it as low as I possibly can because these other guys are doing that and you got to believe that you can do that. And if you're going to compete with them and if you don't, then you're going to have a hard time. They're going to blow you away. And that was sort of a lesson that I learned on the McKenzie tour, which I think McKenzie tour is more like PGA tour American style golf where they shoot really low numbers. Like every week, the guy who's in first place opens up with an eight under or nine under and like seven unders fifth and six under is, you know, like you go out and shoot six under your 10th place or something, you know, like it's pretty crazy. It, it is. So, do you, do you, let me ask you this. Cause you've been out there a, a lot. Is that more the courses they play or the course setup? Because one of the things you see with, with good courses is the ability to separate the people that are playing very well and the people that are just kind of knocking it around. But course <laughs> yeah. setup can dictate that a lot, and it can really kind of push the field together. And you're right, there's not a lot of separation. You'll have 40 guys within four shots of the lead. Yeah. And, and I don't think personally that that is, you know, the best way to play. I don't, I don't think that says, hey, everyone out here is great. I think that's more of like, well, look, everyone can bomb it and everyone can stick a wedge to a soft green to 15 feet, you know? Yep. Yeah, that's Canada. That's PGA Tour Canada, Corn Ferry. And really, that's kind of what the PGA Tour has become also. And, I, and to answer your question, I would say, um, you know, these courses on Canada are just set up a lot easier, and they're just easier in general. They're not that long. Um, you have a lot of wedges. A lot of the par fives are reachable. Um, and and um, it's uh, just not that not that difficult now pga tour china and golf in asia is a completely different story i mean i would say in america the like the way they kind of sell it is is you know it's kind of like entertainment you know they want to see you know golf shots land next to the hole and guys shooting ridiculously low scores and you know and you know that's sort of like what i experienced in canada um where like, I mean, before I would, if you have like a split tea time, you know, and like you're teeing off in the afternoon and you see guys and it's a little bit windy and you see guys in the morning wave and there's not a lot of wind and you see like, like nine, nines and eight unders on the board. You're like, well, like, <laughs> like, I know what I got to go do. Like I go try and, you know, take it low or, you know, block that out and, you know, play my own game. But, um, you know, when you're competing on those tours it's it's intense i would say canadian tour was and it's the canadian tour also is like 12 weeks it's like 12 events and like there's only like a few breaks in between the events so it's kind of like a sprint you know and yeah. it's like back to back to back guys are just taking it deep like every single week and you know you really got to be on your game for that you know like 
you know, like a, a few of those events to try and get a top three or a top, you know, or, you know, win the event or something. Uh, and that was my problem is I, w- I went up to Canada kind of with a conservative attitude. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to play like a little bit conservative and not really like make mistakes. And, you know, that worked. I made eight out of 11, eight out of 12 cuts and finished 80th on the money list. <laughs> like I made a lot of cuts, but I had zero high finishes because. Right. So you were playing, you know, super solid, you know, not nonstop making cuts here and there, but made cuts out there really don't cast checks. Don't do anything really. I mean, you really, like I said, like the guy that I talked to last year at, uh, PJ Tour Latin America qualifier hit the nail right on the head. I mean, he's like, you got to go out and try and shoot eight under every single time. And you got to like love that. You got to go out and just like have fun and see how low you can shoot and just have a blast while you're doing it. And like I was out there like trying to avoid bogeys. And I honestly wish I had, you know, like missed all those cuts and just maybe had like one top three. That would have done me a lot more than finishing 40th, 30th, 20th, you know, like week in and week out, which did nothing for me. And right, right. Like literally which is did cra- It's crazy. And that's crazy to think, honestly, that you could be such a successful player and do exactly what's asked of you, right, to make the cut and be in competition and finish top 20 every week and literally get nothing from it. Yeah, basically that's yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just like we were saying. I mean, it's so top heavy and it's like that on all the tours now in the world. Um and you got to go out and just play to win and that will, you know, like my sports psych says, the only remember the ones that you win. And you know, like that's true. I mean, I only really remember the events that I either top toed it or won and um, if you're playing to make cuts and you're playing to have decent finishes and you, you know, you kind of can get in that mentality really easily. Like, you know, you just want to make the cut or you just want to keep your card or you just want to like, you know, like just go out and have a decent showing. Like it's really easy to get into when the competitions is tough. And yeah, well, one of the, you know, one of the things that, that pros will always say is that if your goal is to make the cut, then that's the highest you're going to go. If your goal yeah. is to, you know, finish in the top 10, well, top 10 is literally the highest your mind is going to let you achieve. And if you don't achieve the highest, then you might finish top 30, you know, but if your goal is to win every week, which it should be like Tiger would always say, right? Like, why would I be here if I'm not here to win? Yeah. But let's say you fall short of that. Well, falling short of winning might be a top five, which, which is fine. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know. You're exactly right. Yeah, you're exactly right. So, so you, you go from Latino America, you go from Canada, and, and you know, you're know kind of building up uh, some playing credentials, you're playing well, and then yeah. now you're playing on PGA Tour China. So tell me how that came about. What's the qualification system for to get to PGA Tour China? Well, actually, there was something that kind of happened like in between there that kind of led me to China, which... You know, so I get done 
PGA Tour Latin America, and I get done PGA Tour Canada, and I finish like 80th, 90th on both those money lists. I'm like, and but then I get I go to Q School that year, uh, you know, Corn Ferry Tour, and I eagle the last hole to make it on the number to get through to second stage, and um, and then I like get to second stage and I shoot four under first round, and I'm like 15th, and then I miss my tee time because I misread the tee time sheet, and I, there was a guy who had a similar name as me. It was like Christopher like Havarson or something. Like similar kind of sounding last name. Started with an H. And I missed second stage that way. And so I was completely devastated after that. And that was like probably one of the hardest uh, times in my life where you, know, you just feel like an idiot. You're like, how did I, you know, you spend a ton of money to get into Q school and then, you know, you, you miss your tea time. It was like... You know, I remember the guy calling me, you know, like in the morning and he was like, hey, like, you know, we were just curious, like, why weren't you at your tea time this morning? I was like, oh, I thought it was at like 1055, which is what like this other guy was teeing off at. I was like, no, it was 10 minutes ago. And I was like, oh, my God. And I knew I was disqualified at that moment. And, um, you know, it was pretty rough. I mean, that was probably like one of the worst feelings I've ever had. And then I just started was like, OK, like, you know, this doesn't this isn't the end of your golf career. Um, and then I, you know, I was kind of like, you know, I'd been to Canada, I'd been all over Latin America, I'd been to Brazil and all these crazy places and had all these crazy experiences. And I was like, well, China and Asia is kind of like a new challenge for me. And maybe I'll go over there. And, and there was a guy named Charlie Saxon who worked with my coach, Todd, who, you know, would always tell Todd how, you know, good China was and how well run the events were. And I was like, well, I'll just go try that out. So, you have to get um, like a Chinese visa, first of all. And so I got a China, I got a visa for China and I went to all their qualifiers are over there. So you have to go to like, I mean, it's a long flight. The time change is big um, and you have to go all the way over there. And um, so I did that. And the qualifications, like, you know, you get like whatever, 90 guys and the top 10 get spots. But the, the thing is, is that you really got to be in that top 10 because the, the PGA Tour China, like, let's say like I finish 15th and then like some guy from China finishes like 30th in the Q school. Well, the guy from China, because he's from China and he's kind of represented by their golf associations, he'll have more leeway than I do getting into the events on the conditional status. See, so, that, wow, that's, that's, that's very interesting. Like that would not fly over here in the States. Uh, I think the closest thing we have to that here would be sponsors exemptions. You know, hometown yeah. guy gets a sponsors exemption. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yep, exactly. Uh, and that flies pretty well over there, like quite a lot. Um, so, um, so it was really key. So I ended up like having a crazy finish in the Q school. It was in, um, Guangzhou, which is near Hong Kong. And, you know, I got over there and I mean, China is a lot different than Canada and, you know, like Brazil or something. I mean, there's like completely, completely different world. And you don't really know what China's like until you go over there. Like, you know, you kind of have like an abstract idea of it, but it's really like a completely different world over there. And 
but I was ready for it. Um, I was really ready to go over there and I was really looking forward to it. I had studied Mandarin for two months prior heading over there. So I felt like I was like really ready to go over there and, you know, get status and have a full year on that. And I ended up making like a 10 footer for par on the last hole to get into a playoff. And then I made like a 10 footer on the second playoff hole to get, um, it was like in the dark too, like full status. That got me inside like the top 10, which was like huge. That got me like, you know, like guaranteed like six starts or something, you know? And, um, and so, um, yeah, uh, after that I had a full season on PJ tour China. How, um, in two months, in two months time, how fluent were you in Mandarin? Could you carry on, you know, polite conversations with individuals, social conversations? <laughs> no, not at all. Not okay. At all. <laughs> I, okay. <laughs> like, I kind of figured that, you know, but no. you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to debunk anyone's intelligence. I, you know, oh, no, I you know how... totally debunk my Mandarin <laughs> after two months. So you, you're totally free to do that. Like it was like, uh, you know, like. Like, there's a big difference between Spanish and, like, you know, Mandarin. Like, you know, yeah, you learn that, Spanish. Right, right. Like, there's a lot of words that are, like, the same in Spanish. You know, like, situacion, like, situation. Like, Correct. same thing. You know, <laughs> but then you get, like, Mandarin. Like, completely different. Like, not a single word similar. So, when I went over there, my knowledge was, like, oh, like, good golf shot. Like, hi, how are you? <laughs> like... You know, like where's the bathroom? Like right, you know, so stuff polite like, stuff that you could utilize when you're playing at a course. Yeah, like functional stuff, like thank you for your help or something, like or whatever. Just really like basics. Um, All right, so so uh, so a kid from the U.S. goes over, right? Like, yeah. like walk me through this. I mean, were you were you staying with anyone there? How are you traveling to and from tournaments? Does the PGA Tour give you? Is there a translator? Is there someone to help with, you know, uh, travel logistics and all those things? Yeah. So um, basically, there's a a lady named Sherry and who kind of runs PGA Tour China. And, you know, she was the person who helped get my visa. um, And she's sort of like and, you know, they have a lot of people working for PGA Tour China. So. Like, if you have questions with travel or logistics, like how to get to the event, everyone's emailing Sherry because, like, she's like the main person. And, um, like, with travel and stuff, like, I mean, we just, they, they give you, like, kind of like a, you know, like a printout thing of, you know, like how it works. And it's, it's really kind of similar to Canada. It's just, you know, you really need someone like, you know, Sherry to kind of explain to you, because really the thing about China is that you know, maybe you go to Brazil or, you know, like Guatemala. I mean, some people speak English, China. No one speaks English. Like no one speaks any English in China. <laughs> right. Like it's like like, you know, you don't know any Mandarin, like tough luck. I mean, you're kind of like doing sign language stuff or whatever. Um, so they give you um, a lot of like resources to help you get around and you know, like for every event, they sort of have like, you know, like what time is lunch? Like here's the transportation back and forth between the hotel and PJ Tour China, I have to say, was run extremely well. I mean, they had like pro V's on the range, um, the transportation, you know, because the thing is, when you go to like a golf tournament, you know, people are always like, oh, you get to go to Hong Kong or oh, you get to go to these amazing places. But you're really only seeing the hotel and the golf course. 
I mean, really just going back and forth between there. Yeah, it's um, almost like when you go on vacation somewhere and you go on va- like let's say let's take Disney for example. I, and this will make sense in a second. You go to Disney and and everything's taken care of. You never leave the resort, right? Yeah, you don't exactly. You, you can't <laughs> yeah. tell people though I've been to Orlando because you don't know the ins and outs of Orlando and kind of the culture of Orlando. You just know Disney. So were were you kind of in that bubble of, you know, PGA Tour China where you never got to experience those outside areas? Or did you, you know, away from tournament days and, and after the tournament's over? How did that work? Yeah, so I have like two things for that um, question. So I would say that, yes, it is like that. Um, you're basically kind of in that bubble. And it's kind of like, you know, when I went to my first PGA Tour Latin America event, I, you know, we went to Gua- Guatemala and, you know, they kind of do the same thing on PGA Tour Latin America. You know, you go to this amazing resort, like, you know, for like, you know, like, like that's just in this countryside and everything's really nice. And you think, oh, well, Guatemala is a nice place, <laughs> you know. But like when you go to like the actual city and stuff, you see like more of, you know, like how people live and, you know, maybe some of the tougher aspects of that country. Um, and so... Um, and then to say, like, did I do other things a lot, um, and kind of get outside that bubble? That was sort of one of the things I was really kind of craving to do when I was doing the mini tour circuit in 2017, because I really was not excited about playing these mini tour events and like, you know, kind of going to like Gaston, North Carolina or, um, you know, like someplace like that. And so when I had the opportunity to go to China and Brazil and all these other places, and I was so far from home, you're a 10 hour, you know, 20 hour plane ride. And I would like go on Google and look up like, okay, fun things to do or like sites to see, or like what's in Guangdong or what's in um, Nantong or what's in, you know, things to see. And I would like kind of go through that and just be like, okay, well I'm here. I'm so far from home. I don't know if I'm going to come back here. I might as well go take advantage of it and see all the things that I can see, you know, because, I mean, I'm young and I'm abroad and, you know, like traveling. And I just really kind of like I really one of the things I don't I'm really happy about is the last two years. I really took like like every chance I could to go and see like as much as I could when I was at these golf tournaments but but at the same time, you know, practicing and preparing, it wasn't like I was like, you know, <laughs> like skipping a practice round or something. But, you know, when I had the chance or when I had free time or I had a morning tea time and I got done in the afternoon, I'd go practice for a little bit. And then I would go and, you know, take a taxi somewhere and go see this like landmark or, you know, something like that. And is re- I'm really glad I did that because, you know, some of the guys they go to you know, the event in the hotel, and then that's all they see, and then they go back home, you know? And I feel yeah, like you're kind yeah, of missing right. out it's, on some things. Sure, sure. It's it's hotel room to range to putting green to course and, and back to the hotel room, and they don't ever experience that. And if people want even just like you, a small dose, you got it. your Instagram page, I like to me, is <laughs> – I, I love it, right? A Christopher, <laughs> official Christopher Hickman is, is the Instagram name – you have like you would think if 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 people didn't know you were a golfer 
you would look at that and be like, dude, this guy's rich. Look at all these places he's traveling. He goes everywhere. <laughs> like, I love seeing that because it's so different from you know what I have in my everyday life, and and I love that. I love the differences that that people have and the experiences that people can then relate to others. Um, you got to take me through some of these things. I mean, you're, oh, you're yeah. at the Great Wall of China. You're with <laughs> elephants and baboons and, you know, playing like the national sport of ping pong before tournaments. And then you're, you know, <laughs> snorkeling in this crystal blue clear waters. And it's like, it's it's insane, man. It really is. It's awesome. It is. Yeah, it's it's I mean. Like at the time, you know, when you're experiencing it, like maybe you don't appreciate it as much. But like when you look back on it, you really are like, man, that was amazing. Like that was like an incredible experience. Like and it was like week to week to week doing new things. Like I would like go to, you know, all these different things. And like you like you said, everything you just said, it was just I mean, it was kind of like the thing that I was really wanting to do in 2017 to go to all these new places and see all these new different things. And, um, so I'll take a few, a few places. So, and I'll, and I'll tell you why, like, I think Asia is really great, you know, for travel and, and stuff like that. And like, you know, just one is because it's completely different. It's a complete culture shock. Everything is completely different. And, Two, I would say things are a lot, um, you know, less expensive over there. So when I went to China, I, I, you know, when I first qualified, you know, when I and I was coming back home, I was looking on the map like, oh, like there's all these other places around China, like Thailand, Singapore, Philippines, you know, that, you know, I haven't been to. And I really want to go check those places out. And so they had like these big breaks in between PGA Tour China. I would say that's one of the things that is kind of tough about PGA Tour China is you get like sometimes three, three, four weeks in between events. And if you've ever been to Asia or like, you know, you, you know, maybe Eastern Europe, like when you have a nine, 10 hour difference in time, it's a very tough adjustment. And so I would want to, so I was like, you know, I'm just going to stay in Thailand and maybe there's a place to practice there. And so after this event in Shanghai, which Shanghai is an awesome city, that's probably my favorite city in China. They got the second tallest building in the world there and um, just great food and a fun nightlife. And it, that place was great. I was like, you know, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go to Thailand for three weeks and see what that's like. And Thailand is amazing. Thailand is um you know, you get a hotel for about $20 a night. You know, the flight to Thailand is cheap and getting or playing golf in Thailand is cheap. So you go to Thailand and you're really not spending any money and you're getting good practice. And a lot of the facilities in Thailand are pretty good. I went to this place in Black Mountain called Hua Hin, which is sort of like the mecca of golf in, in Thailand and Southeast Asia. And that's where a lot of Asian tour events are played. And I practiced there and I was like, man, this place is like really nice. Like they have a good short game facility. They had a great driving range. The courses were great. Uh, they had like three different golf courses there. And, you know, I just ended up kind of staying in Thailand, you know, going back and forth between Thailand and China for about six months. So I didn't even like, I was having so much fun over there that 
I didn't even come home <laughs> like for six months, you know, and a lot of the other guys would be like, you know, why aren't you going home or whatever? Why aren't you, you know, going back? Like, you know, these other guys on PGA Tour China, they would just kind of go to, you know, the event and then take the 20 hour journey back home. And it's really kind of like 20 hours plus the two days, three days of just being dead tired. Like once you get home. Because the time difference is so big. Yeah, so, do, you, do you feel like that helped you in the long run, staying there and kind of acclimating to the culture, you know, and, and not having to kind of travel back and forth almost made you feel more like an insider when you were there? Yeah, I really felt like I got to get, know the ins and outs of golf in Asia, which was something that I did not know anything about prior to PJ Tour China. I mean, for me, like growing up, I just thought that there's just the PGA Tour and European Tour, but like, you know, the European Tour is sort of like a kind of an app. Yeah, I'd seen it on TV once or twice, but like, you know, Asian golf was something I knew nothing about. And now I feel like not having been over there and played in other events, like I've played on, I played in two other events while I was over there as a Philippines Tour event. And a, and a Thailand tour event, which I didn't even know, like, what, there was such a thing. Um, and, you know, kind of going to Thailand and doing all that, I think, really kind of opened my eyes to a different world of golf, which is in, in Asia, which there is a lot of golf in Asia. Like, there's a ton of golf in Asia. Like, you actually have – I know a lot of guys, like, from America who just – live in Asia and they're trying to make it on the Japan tour or the Asian tour or something like that. So what are the course setups like compared to courses here in the States? Um, well, so I would say that they sell golf differently in Asia, <laughs> like the, the marketing scheme. So in America, you know, they want to see a lot of birdies like that's right. like their, that's their thing. Okay. Or like Canada or wherever. Now in China, okay, it's the complete opposite. It is like the complete opposite. In China, they want to see you struggle. The way they hype up their events is like this is the hardest course. This is the toughest test. This is going to really, you know, see what the players are made of. And so, like, a lot of times on PGA Tour China, you know, on the Canadian Tour, you'd have cuts at seven under. On PGA Tour China, you'd have cut sometimes five, four over, you know, three over. Because of course, yeah, that's that's wild, big time. And so, yeah. so what what's leading to that? Is it is it they're tipping these courses out at close to eight thousand yards? Is it small greens? Is it is it heavy rough? <laughs> it's, it's all that, <laughs> <laughs> all everything you said. Take, like, it's, take your pick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like. Like I'll give you an example. So the cor- even the course that we played the Q school at in um in uh, Guangzhou is called Foshan like Golf Club. I mean this place was just out of bounds like city. I mean it's just water everywhere like and you just got to step up and hit golf shots. I mean you just got to sack up and just hit a golf shot and and do it, you know, for four straight rounds. And, and you kind of get used to it, you know, like be, there being trouble everywhere. But 
like when you come back to the states and you see 30 yard you know fairways with you know then there's like rough with no trouble and maybe just trees like in america if you miss a shot offline you're in the trees or something and maybe there's out of bounds of water but if in china and you really miss a shot offline like you're heading back to the tee box <laughs> or you're asking a rules official to look for your ball but right. like, so um it's a uh, it's a big – I mean, I ended up – I started – I went there, and I was swinging at, like, 114. And by the end of the season, I was swinging at, like, 109, just trying to hit these dink fades, like, into the fairway. So um, – and another thing, too, is that they – like, so in China, they kind of carve courses out of the jungle. So they take, like – like, southeast China is, like, a jungle. And it's really, like, like dense, like, vegetation. And that's how they – they kind of take a golf course out of that, like Mission Hills, which is one of the biggest golf complexes in the world. There's like, yeah, what are they, you know, a thousand now, 10 or 12 courses. Yep. So there's like 10 courses, like something like a thousand caddies. Like, I mean, this thing is like, like a Mecca of golf and like it's carved out of a jungle. So, and the other thing is too, you're hitting downhill a lot for a lot of tee shots. So like, on a, so it's kind of like if you're hitting, if you miss a shot offline and it's like, you know, you're the fairways like the same level as you are, like it's only a little bit like offline. But like in China, you miss a shot offline. Not only is it tight, you're hitting downhill. So you're, it's a narrow fairway and you're hitting downhill. So downhill means the ball has so much time to like linger offline. So like, <laughs> and you just, like, you just watch it forever, sail OB. Yeah, I mean, it's got, like, you know, 10 seconds of hang time while you're looking at it, like, head into the weeds or something. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a PGA Tour China was, like, a great test. And you were talking about earlier how, you know, like, you know, separating people and, you know, like, China does separate the great ball strikers from guys who are just kind of struggling because you really cannot – you really got to go out and hit a bunch of greens in regulation on PGA Tour China. You really got to hit your driver straight. You really got to hit it does it's not like a course where you these courses are not courses where you can like go out and you know like hack it around and still put up a good score. You know, you really got to go out and strike it. And um it kind of exposed a flaw in my game which was my long irons. Like and that's something that I feel like needs to get better. And that was something that um, I learned in China, which was that, you know, this part of the game, you know, like it's just got to get better for me. But it's like just in China and Asia in general, like even in Thailand and a lot of those courses, you really got to hit it good. Um, how, how, so many, was, uh, how many Americans do we have playing out there? Is it is it he I don't want to say heavily populated because obviously it's not, but. I mean, do they tend to stick together when traveling? You know, are they? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of figured that as much. You know, I mean, it it, it helps to have someone else there, another set of eyes or whatnot. Um, yes. But how how many would you say in a given event? I'd say there's probably like thirty or okay. like like I'd say there's a decent amount of guys from abroad. So almost almost quarter of the field then. Yeah, I would. I never felt like you know I was over there that the whole tournament was like Asian guys, and I was like, you know, there were still like guys that 
I knew from TPC Sawgrass, and there was even a guy from Sea Island, um, you know, that I know playing over there. So um, I think that makes it easier for a lot of guys to go over there and, you know, be with your buddies and, you know, not have like, you know, just, you know, just to kind of, you know, have someone from your home country when you're so far away, I think makes makes things a lot easier. So. Yeah, it's, it's it's still culture shock, but at least it's a little bit uh, assuaged when you have someone else with you. Um, now I gotta ask, exactly. you, what's the deal with uh, with caddies over there? It, a lot of them <laughs> are the female caddies, correct? And and I'm assuming yeah. that each resort or each course is providing them. Is that how they're doing it? Yeah, yeah. Um, loads of female caddies. Um, pretty much. Like you really can't play a golf t- like a like a golf round without like a female caddy. So over there, like you just have to have a caddy. So like here, like in America, if you just want to go out and play by yourself or with your friends, you don't have to have a caddy. But over there, you have like a caddy that will like work their tail off to like fill all your divots, like mark your ball for you, like pick, like you know, give you a tee before you tee off. I mean these these caddies are kind of like butlers like they just do everything you want <laughs> like you have to do any and the, like you know you see these guys who are you know maybe these like rich asian guys playing these events and or just playing around a golf and the caddy will do everything for them like get their club like read the green form like i mean it's like a really serious like profession over there like being like a caddy so and we had to have them too um or no we didn't have to have them for the for the events but they were always available. So, and and if I can ask, what what is an a, what's a, an average payday for them? Because obviously it's <sighs> not you're you're not going into contract as you would you know on the PGA Tour, the Corn Ferry Tour, yeah. with your, your actual caddy, you know. Yeah. So that's sort of I guess one of the eye opening things about I guess traveling. Um, you really see like kind of income disparities between, you know, maybe like Europe and like America compared to like, you know, other countries. And, you know, when I first got done, like PJ, when I qualified for PJ tour China, I had a, had the same caddy all week and she was like really nice. Like, you know, she just said hen hao, which means like very good. <laughs> That's like all I understood. And, um, I paid her like, I think it was like 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 300 at the end of the week so that was like 50 dollars a day which i thought was like pretty standard you know i thought i mean that is pretty standard that's a pretty standard like caddy rate and she was just like through the roof elated like that was like so much uh for her and um normally it's about 20 to 15 dollars and in thailand it can go as low as like ten dollars for like a round of golf so you're paying someone to like go out there for four hours and do everything like ten dollars yeah for literally 250 an hour i mean it's pretty brutal but that's just how it is yeah yeah it's 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 nuts and if you've ever seen i mean you've experienced it i mean for the listeners if you've ever seen people play over at in china japan thailand anywhere in you know in the east it's a it's a very servitude culture. So yep. from an early age, 
you know, it, it, it's almost, I hate to use the word indentured, but, but that mindset is, is there to kind of just serve. Yeah. Yep. Um, and yeah. that's, it's got, it's gotta be a little bit tough coming from the U S you know, where, where we're taught to, Hey, if you don't like something, speak up about it, change it. And, and that doesn't happen over there. So seeing that has to be a little bit odd. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. And it just kind of, makes you more aware of i guess you know like like you know how lucky you are to be like an american and you know not only that to be playing golf in america and you know to have the opportunities that i've had you know traveling to all these different places has really you know put that in perspective for me and um you know i mean i mean there's like times like where like you know you pass people by on the street and you're just kind of look you know you're or just wherever, and you look at, you know, the, you know, the opportunities that a lot of people have in the world and the opportunities that you have here, it's, it's a big difference and, um, it puts things in perspective. So I've got to, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you what, what, and you mentioned some of them already, but, but what would be your top three, um, off the course adventures that you've had <laughs> over there. <laughs> Can okay, you even so, rank them one through three? I don't know. You oh know, my but, God. But some yeah. Of, yeah. Some of the... so, okay. All right. So, um, yeah, I, I have had a lot of adventures <laughs> in, uh, Asia to, um, to say the least. Um, so I would say in, I would say probably no, coming in at number three, was I played like an event really well in China. I finished like 12th in the event. And I finished, I shot four under on this really like hard day when it was just raining and windy. And I was like, I'm just going to go to Thailand. And this is the first time I was there. I went to Phuket, which is like where the PP islands are. And I went down there and I just kind of like, I went to like snorkeling in these like really clear waters and, um, you know, it's kind of like, like in the James Bond movies where they have like the kind of like small, like mountains in the, in the, in the, um, like in the sea with a lot of vegetation on it. And it was just really stunning. Like just going there for the first time and seeing that, uh, was like amazing. And just being in Thailand for the first time, that was pretty great. Um, so I'd say that was number three. I'd say two is probably um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I would say like um, probably seeing the Great Wall of China in Beijing was an experience like I just will not forget. Like that, like you have to take this gondola kind of up to the top of the Great Wall, the Mutianyu section in Beijing. It's like an hour north of the center of Beijing and you're in these beautiful mountains and you can see like, you know, just for miles, like this, how far this, this wall goes. And you kind of like, and I kind of got like a, a little mini tour guide to show me, um, you know, like the history of it and took some cool pictures. And that was like, you know, really great. Cause it's one of the seven wonders of the world and I could see why. And probably number one was Singapore. So Singapore was like probably one of the best times of my life. Like I went to Singapore and um, I had played six out of eight weeks. And Singapore is like a really international like place. Like people from all over the world go to Singapore. And 
I had met uh, these guys with the sports agency group that were in Singapore, and I just kind of let loose for like <laughs> like four days straight, just did whatever I wanted to do. I was tired from playing golf and kind of these really tough courses on PGA Tour China, you know, was kind of going out and um, meeting lots of new people and, um, you know, seeing lots of really cool things. Um, that was, that was like, uh, that was probably one of the best times of my life. Like, I'll never forget that, um, trip to Singapore. And also I would say bungee jumping in Northern Thailand a month ago. Um, that was pretty crazy too. So I I saw that on your Instagram page and, uh, you know, (laughs) one of the things that always strikes me about, I guess going anywhere outside the U S is like, I always wonder about like lack of regulations over there. Were you, were you nervous about that at all? <laughs> of course I was, you know, <laughs> so it made it more fun, you know, like I was over there and, um, you know, like you see this kind of makeshift thing that you, you're going to jump off of. And I was like, well, like, and I, but the thing was before I went bungee jumping, so there was this girl who did it before me and she was like this little five, two Thai girl. And she just waltzes up there and she's like, I'm going to have fun. She just jumps off it fearless. And I was like, if she's going to do that, like I have no excuse not to do that. I'm going to look like a pansy if I don't do this. <laughs> and so I was like, you know, like bring it on. And I was pretty, it was pretty crazy. So. Yeah, I'm I'm watching it now and like, you know, I feel like that that bungee was made for someone that was much smaller. Not like a, yeah. a tall six foot one American because you come awfully close to the water there. Oh, I do. I mean it was I I think I saw like everything kind of flash before my eyes when I jumped off and they and they count down too. So he's like, ready? Like you get to the top, he's like, three, two, one. And you're like, all right, like, I guess I'm going to go. <laughs> and you jump off this thing and it was, it was, it was a crazy feeling. Like it's a feeling in your chest and, uh, it was pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, I would say just as to another point, like you really stand out like in Asia also, like, especially if you're like an American, cause like, it's a really like homogenous place in China. Or like Thailand, so like you know, you go to Thailand, you see mostly Thai people and mostly Chinese people, and in Ch- in China, they only mostly speak Mandarin, and everyone's pretty short, also. So like you know, when you're an American walking down the street or something, like sometimes people will look at you and like you know, like oh, like like what's an American doing in Changsha, or what's an American doing in Qinghuangdao, or what's an American doing, you know, here? You know, you're kind of treated like like, and it's kind of funny. So like. I had a lot of they, they have a their social media platform is called um WeChat. So that's like their right. Facebook, Instagram, whatever. And I got a WeChat. And um like a lot of times like I would just be walking down the street and someone just comes up to you and is like, Hey, can I get a photo with you? <laughs> like they think you're like a you know, like some sort of like strange, like foreign like object that they wanna like remember the, you know what I mean? Like they, they think yeah, it's so like cool. Yeah, like why else would you, yeah, why else would this tall American be here? We don't see them, you know, often. It's like, it's like seeing a unicorn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, you definitely feel it when you're over there. So like, you know, people say, oh, you get used to it, but 
you never really get used to it. Like you're still, you know, you know, you're still very different from everyone else over there. Right. So. Now, one of the coolest things I want to talk about, you know, which hits near and dear to me because, you know, I used to train in Muay Thai, but outside of Bangkok, you actually went to, um, you know, a Muay Thai place, a Thai boxing garden. Is that something that you just did the one time or, or is that a discipline that, that you've trained in prior? That is something that, unfortunately, I only have done like twice. So um, I didn't know that uh, that was such a discipline of yours. And I wish I had more to elaborate on, but I did know I did learn how to throw a few punches and like, you know, a few kicks and but it was it's it's a great workout i mean and the thing is in thailand it's everywhere so like national bank, sport yeah exactly so um it's uh you know i mean you can get a boxing lesson for 15 bucks for like an hour and just like sweat your brains off like inside of or, you know outside in this hot thai weather and you know, in this gym and, um, it's a great, like, uh, you know, workout. Um, and that's and, nuts because if, if one of those, you know, Thai coaches came over here, they could probably charge like 1500 bucks for a half day lesson, you know, getting it yeah. straight from the source. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, everything over there is, is so cheap. It's kind of, it's, it's very like, I think that's why, like, you know, cause you know, when you do like the, like, I would say the comparison between like the three tours I've played on the Latin America, the, you know, China and, um, you know, Canada, like the price, the, the amount of money that not only that, so you make more money in Asia. So like the China tour, like the taxes are better and the prize money's more. So you just make more money. Um, and once you're over there, the travel is not that bad. So like you can actually like, earn a decent you know like if you finish fifth in china versus fifth in um latin america it's actually more money so and the once you're over there travel is not that bad um so it's really um you know i think just that that part of it is very like appealing because if you like go play pj tour canada and don't room with anyone you're spending a lot of money oh like yeah i mean you're yeah you're getting knocked around left and right i mean i'd say 30 40, yeah sure least. yeah that, that's and that's a number that is not astronomical and i've heard that number from quite a few guys too and and pj tour latino america you could say something around the 15 20 range yeah exactly so um you know uh, i think that's why I've been so drawn to, I guess, Asia is that they have like, a, like, and I was going to say this, they have like, they really hype up their events. So like when I was at like a PGA Tour Canada event, you know, you, it's a proper golf tournament. You feel like you're playing in an event, it's four days, there's, you know, ropes and stuff and there's a little bit of media. But in China, I mean, they like have like big player parties before the event starts. They'll have like a, they'll have like, you know, a get together of all the players and they'll have like, maybe like, um, like an opening ceremony where they shoot off. Like, it's not like a firework, but it's like this powder thing. I don't know what it's called. It's like, um, it's like this traditional Chinese, like it looks like a firework, but it's not like a firework. And 
Um, they do that before the event, and they have like maybe drums or they'll have like some traditional Chinese dancing. I mean, they really hype up these events. They really make it special for the players, and um, and they have meet like as soon as you even get like within two or three shots of the lead, you got a camera guy on you. So um, that part is cool too. So you really they really like hype it up, and you really feel like you're like playing in like a proper event, like a well-run event. I mean, just with the transportation, the media. And that's just not China also. I mean, in, in Thailand, um, I played an event on the All Thailand Tour. And the winner of the All Thailand Tour event for that week got $25,000. And I was like, what? I was like, and it had world ranking points. It had like almost the same world ranking points as the McKenzie Tour. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like there's like world ranking points for this like small obscure tour that I've never heard of in Thailand. And um, I was like, I shot like four under and I was like two off the lead or something. And like, you know, the, there's like the guy is like interviewing me for like uh, golf channel Thailand, you know, and there's like grandstands around the golf course and there's um, the events hyped up. I mean, they got like a fence around the putting green and sponsors and you know Strixon was sponsoring the event they had like Strixon range balls and um and same thing in the Philippines like I played in the Philippines tour event and they had like a similar type setup and it's like that in Korea it's like that on the Asian tour the ADT tour which is the Asian development tour under the Asian tour Japan tour is like that it's like basically the PGA tour of Asia and um uh, that is something that like I did not know about heading to Asia was just there's a huge golf scene going on over there with every country kind of having its own tour with decent amount of month, decent payouts and the four day events with media. And, um, you know, I found that like really appealing. Like I found that really, um, you know, I had no idea about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like you developed really quite an affinity for the Far East. So I guess that that leads me to ask, what are the, the future plans? You're back here now uh, in Sea Island. Now, are you back here because of the quarantine or is it because of the offseason? Yeah, because of the uh, quarantine. I was supposed to go to Thailand and Philippine na- Philippines now for... Um, an event and they obviously got canceled. So, um, you know, it's, uh, I'm curious what that, what the, you know, they're saying June, but, um, I'm just basically here now till, you know, I mean, whatever happens. So now when, when you're, let's, let's say whenever, you know, things open up and, and who knows, you know, I've, I've heard, just like everyone else, you know, 10 different things within 10 different days. You know, it's always changing. Um, yeah. But when things do finally come through the other side and we're free and clear of all this, um, is that your plan to head back and to finish up the season over there? Um. Yeah, it is whatever season that is going to be like, you know, like kind of left. I feel like they're kind of going to have to improvise. And like I was like I was going to do that. So I went to Asian Tour Q school and I got like, ADT like status so it's like the Asian development tour um which is like that funnels into the Asian tour and um one of my friends did that last year 
and said the events were really good, but um, they usually have like 20 events and like a large chunk of their events have been canceled and they're usually in Malaysia and Malaysia's cases are growing. So, uh, yeah, I don't, you just got to kind of play it by ear and see, you know, what happens. So what are you, what are you doing now? Are you, are you practicing like at sea Island? Are you, are you a member down there? of The courses you're hanging out with Davis love. <laughs> uh, not exactly. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I've been practicing a lot and um, working with my coach in Jacksonville, Todd Anderson, and um, just doing home workouts and trying to stay in shape. You know, I do the, um, you know, like the TB12 method. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Well, you're you're a big Tom Brady guy, aren't you? Oh, yeah. So in 2018, they did like a little thing on me and they uh, Tom Brady commented like, good luck, Chris, keep kicking butt. And I think like I had like felt like I had made it <laughs> like when he said that to me, like I had like had arrived or something because, you know, Tom Brady sent me a message. But I'm really big into um, like doing his whole deal, which is like band workouts. And it's a lot of like foam rolling. They kind of have this vibrating foam roller that you do. And um, oh, yeah, it's actually I've, I've been... got one. You do? Oh, yeah. Shout out Jane Park. She sent it to me. Really? How do you like it? Um, I, I like it a lot, actually. I, I, regardless of the fact that it vibrates, what I like the best about it is that it really is like a deep tissue because it's so dense. You know, the foam yeah. is so dense. I can't stand the foam rollers that literally lose shape after, you know, a, a week or so because the yeah. foam is almost like styrofoam. Like, you know, for me, if, if I'm doing, uh, you know, foam rolling, and and I want to feel that. Like I literally want it to be like a deep tissue massage. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's what I, you know, in 2017, I was having a lot of, like, you know, I think like, I think Tom Brady hits it, the nail right on the head, like, um, like with this foam rolling thing, like, um, and the way he like works out, like, you know, in 2017, I was having a lot of like injuries, you know, like, you know, a lot of golfers say like, oh, like, you know, like, you know, back injuries are like the most common problem in the sport because we're using our back a lot. Of and, um, um, you know, I was having a lot of injuries and I was really struggling with, um, just, you know, like one week it would feel good and one week it would feel bad. And I didn't know what was going on. And, and I was lifting these heavy weights in the gym and I was trying to get all jacked up and like, you know, cause that's kind of all I had, you know, grown up with. It's like you work out in the gym and you lift these heavy weights and then you do golf stretches and you have back problems and take a Motrin and ice it and heat it. And then that's like what you do. And I didn't know any different. And then I started working with, um, his, uh, program. And so I started doing it in early 2018 and, and I was missing tournaments all the time. Like I was like missing mini tour events and I was in Latin America for the first time doing the Q school and I wasn't sure if I was going to play in it and I was having shoulder problems. And after doing that, I have not missed one tournament. I have not had any back issues heading into a golf tournament and it's really kind of like taking the like, you know, working out with bands and doing, like you said, the deep tissue like stuff has really kind of transformed my body from like, you know, being really tight and stiff all the time from working out and like having 
you know, back injuries, you know, left and right to going into an event and knowing I'm going to feel fine. Like that, right. I don't even have to, that it's like kind of like taking like the, you know, like the guesswork or the unpredictability of, you know, injuries out of it for me. So, so what's, what's a normal day like for you now, you know, let people know what a pro golfer's doing during this time of quarantine or, you know, is this time very much like what your off season looks like? Yeah, it is. And, um, like I would say right now, you know, is a great time to make any kind of changes that you want to make in your golf swing. So if you're like a pro golfer and, you know, like if you have like an event coming up, it's kind of hard to make like a change because you got to go figure out a way to get the golf ball around in that event. But now we have this, it's almost like, you know, November, December, January, February now where we have a few months off. And if you have something in your swing you want to work on, now is the time to do it. So a typical day for me is, you know, wake up, stretch, um, you know, roll out with that vibrating uh, foam roller, head to the golf course, you know, work on the swing, uh, maybe play nine. Um, just practice and just try and stay fresh. But I know a lot of guys, like I work with Todd and he works with uh, Lanto Griffin and a lot of other guys. And he was saying how, you know, a lot of guys are kind of using this time to relax and, um, you know, take some time off and, you know, like really get refreshed for whenever the season does start back up. And so I would say it's really good to, so for me, I took like a little time off, but now I'm sort of, like, I mean, right now I'm working on my long irons like every single day um, and just trying to get that better and, you know, just doing home workouts. Like I know a lot of guys are just sitting in their room doing stretches, you know, their gyms are closed. Like, you know, like the golf courses have funny hours now, like they're closed a few days a week. So um, we're all just trying to, you know, make the best of it. So, yeah, I mean, that's really, you know, all you can do. Um, look, Chris, I want to thank you beyond measure to kind of give me an insight and, and all of us an insight as to what PJ Tour China is like. I know for a fact you've made some new fans here, and I, I for one, can't wait to continue following because your Instagram feed is one of my favorites out there because it is so different from the typical Tour Pro. You know, the typical Tour Pro is shout out to my sponsor. I'm playing here this week. And yours is like, I'm riding elephants and chasing baboons around. And that's <laughs> like, I love that dude. So let, let people know where they can find you throughout social media, how to kind of get in touch with you and get in contact with you if need be. Okay. So I would say the best way to get in contact and to follow me is just my Instagram account is pretty much where I blog everything and post everything. That's official Christopher Hickman. It's kind of a long name, but, um, you know, if you want to reach out to me and contact me or have questions about PGA Tour China, um, just send me a message there. And, uh, yeah, that's probably, I, I love that Instagram account. I mean, I always like, you know, it's like you said, a lot of guys are like, you know, oh, playing in this week, getting ready for this event. Like every other post is like, thank you, Titleist, for supporting me or, you know, whatever. And I'm like you said, I'm like... <laughs> you know, having a mud bath with elephants in North Thailand or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I have fun with it. So awesome. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. Uh, you know, stay safe down there. 
continue practicing and cannot wait to see you out on the big tour. Yeah, thank you so much, man. Thank you for uh, having me on your podcast and uh, stay safe to you as well. All right. Okay, people, so either get busy golfing or get busy dying. We'll be right back.